Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. My name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 99 of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's our 99th episode, if you don't count the Revisit Project, which is still going, by the way, and we'll be back in action pretty soon. We're just back from Cork. My voice hopefully sounds slightly less hungover than it did (laughs) when I sounded like a shattered shell of an attempt at a human being when I recorded the intro for last week's show in Coleman's back garden uh, after getting about four hours of sleep. Yeah, it was a tough weekend. (laughs) Busy two days. Trying to watch the Super Bowl after that, man. I was just like, this is a great, great game. I'm really sorry I have both the fear and the shakes. I got it. on the bus with Craig uh, to be met by the world's cheeriest bus driver. He looked and sounded like John Bishop. It wasn't him. Uh, although Bishop is interesting because he was playing Christian rock music. The whole way? No, I don't know. I put on my headphones as soon as I possibly well, could. At least you knew you were safe. Yeah, I mean, as I said on Twitter, I would say pray for me, but I presume that was already taken care of before <laughs> I stepped onto the bus. We are joined this week, in the absence of Craig Fitzpatrick, by returning guest, the one and only, Fanula Jones. How he is? What's, hey. the, what's the crack? Uh, no crack. I'm surprised how easily convinced I was to come back, considering how completely offended I was by the recent fallout by review, but here I am. Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to, you know... Like no, it, I don't, because it hurts me too much. I thought I gave it a fair shake. Dahi gave it 2 out of 10. Yeah, which was outrageous. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a good 5. World's nicest pop star, Dahi O'Droni. I know. Like, just coming... Hates fallout by passing on. Also, I don't know how angry you're allowed to get over a 5 getting undeservedly panned. Like, it's a 5. If you, if you were them. saying it's a five. Yeah, because I have to be honest, but I also love them. That's fair. You're just okay. in denial. Just, yeah. So the next, the next episode of Encore is episode 100, and I don't know if we're doing anything for it. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to be brutally honest with you, listener. Uh, we've all been very busy, and <laughs> uh, plans that we have made have kind of fallen through, even though they kind of weren't plans at all. But I'm now working on Valentine's night. On the late shift, that's going to be fun. And uh, on the main show that we would like to do, Wild Beasts are playing next week, so we're going to go to that. We'll figure something out. And if anything happens, please go to the No Encore Twitter account, at No Encore Show, for any breaking news that may or may not, probably not, occur (laughs) in the next few days. Something that did occur, though, last night at time of recording, all three of us, separately actually in the building, Mm -hmm. went to the Three Arena to see Kendrick Lamar kick off the Dam Tour, the European leg of the Dam Tour, in the Three Arena, as noted. What did we all think of the show? 
I loved it. I thought it was so, so good. And as someone who didn't really have a good view at longitude and came really late and probably didn't have the appreciation for him that I do now, it was insane. I thought the staging was really good as well, like really simple but really effective and the whole Kung Fu Kenny imagery. I just loved it. I actually thought my heart was going to explode when he did uh, Backseat Freestyle. I thought I was going to die. Like, it was incredible. How was your health, Cullum? Uh, I, the closest I came to death was thinking that I'd be trampled when DNA kicked in straight off and people were just like, Ugh! I mean, like, see, like the second the lights went black, I saw a point fly over my head and I was like, oh, this is how it's going to be for the night, <laughs> isn't it? And was it? Yeah, close enough. It was pretty wild down in the in the standing area. Um, Colin was hanging out with with uh, rock stars, by the way. He was with a certain Dahi Odroni, and I believe Talos was there. Yeah, wasn't yeah, he? yeah, 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 yeah. Does he go by Talos we in the flesh? Ian from Young Wonder hanging out as well. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, who? it's a who's who, mate. Stop um, name dropping, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it was great. I mean, like you say, the staging was cool. The B stage was great. It's just kind of strange cage-like contraption in the middle of the floor where he started off inside it crouching and by the end of it was standing on a sort of a raised like 20-foot platform in the middle of three arena. I got a really good photograph of that which is the lead image on the review that has just gone live on (laughs) joe.ie. Go there, read it. I tried my best to recapture some of the magic that was present on the evening because it was magic. Now listen, I love Kendrick Lamar. I've always been a big fan. Well, not always. I mean, I kind of came to him a little bit late. I wasn't there for the good kid Mad City days when it first dropped and therefore I didn't even know he was playing Vicar Street when he did apparently that was a legendary gig I didn't see him in Longitude because I don't like to see acts like that in that environment I just think something gets lost so I've been waiting I've been waiting patiently and you know we've talked about Damn on the podcast before it was no Encore's album of 2017 if you go back to the review I had misgivings with it and ultimately I wasn't convinced that it was an instant classic last night was the kind of gig that made me really appreciate an album after the fact a lot more. I have to say I was completely blown away by the gig. I thought it was one of the best I've ever been to and I've been to a lot of gigs. I thought it was wonderful from start to finish. I was so riveted and hooked. I thought the crowd were amazing. I was in the seats. I was actually stage left kind of in the front row um, just up above so I had a really, really good view of everything including, by the way, his band who were off to the side of the stage. Yeah. Some people didn't even know he had a band. Yeah, no, so I, I, I knew the deal because he played some gigs in the States last year where it was the same sort of effect where they were out of view but obviously present. And so into it, by the way, their bass player was going nuts. The drummer was fantastic. They actually had like a video monitor of Kendrick's throughout the entire thing. It's such yeah. an intricate thing. Uh, and as Fanula mentions, like the staging was quite minimalist but also he maximalized it, I suppose. It was reminiscent in places of Kanye West Glastonbury setup. But that kind which, of low light yeah that was so effective it was so cool to see it just kind of get gradually lower and Mm. almost like kind of cave in on him and then like come back out it was really really interesting there was also a moment right halfway through the show because he had a couple of performers in with them and again doing the whole Kung Fu Kenny Shaw Brothers style imagery um, there was one moment where he comes back on stage and it, it appears that he's lying on his side and floating in the air yeah. with someone beneath him. So while this was happening, and by the way, at the end of it, he hops off, very casually hops off this platform, which is revealed, and kind of walks away, almost as if like, hey, it's invitation, not manipulation. It's kind of this cool, like, involving the audience type moment. But while it was happening in that moment, I turned to the person next to me and I went, Cullum is obsessed with magic. <laughs> he turns into a kid when magic is, is around. So right now, he is probably losing his mind. What I really wanted at that moment, and I'll be honest, you just mentioned that, like, you know, throughout the night there was various kind of Kung Fu Kenny performances or whatever. I really wanted the person from the opening track to come back with the sword and to show that there was nothing connecting him to the ground. Then I would have lost my shit. <laughs> that's tremendous. Yeah, that's very, very good. And also, I looked away for a split second and, like, the person beneath him had disappeared. And I was like, where'd, where'd she yeah. So yeah, there was all those kind of little tricks, but again, it was very inviting. It was very communal, and I thought the crowd were actually amazing. I didn't, yes. uh, I didn't see much in the way of trouble. You kind, of, some people kind of expect at those gigs you might get a bit of people kind of going. I was amazed at how enthralled people were to him and how much it meant to be. Like there was literally at one stage, like somebody next to me with like tears in their eyes. They were kind of having one of those kind of like you know teenage girl at a boy's own concert all those years ago. But, you know, she was in her 20s and it was Kendrick Lamar because, you know, and I think I've said it on the on the show before that, you know, when hip hop artists come over here, I mean, it's no secret that like Kendrick does not write about the lives of Irish people. You know, it is very much an American focused album, damn is. Uh, a lot of like the social commentary that he's making is very obviously about racial issues that you know are not as alive in this country so it's very interesting to see just how many people connect at a really visceral level even though it's maybe not necessarily shared ground 
Yeah, my colleague at Joe, Carl Kinsler, kind of came to me today and he said, you should write a piece about Kendrick, even though I was off today, because he was saying, I don't know if a rapper has connected with an Irish audience quite like this in some time, possibly ever. Yeah. And you can feel it in the air. The person next to me, there was some like, kind of guy who looked actually weirdly a bit like Lil Peep, may he rest in peace, who was going fucking mental throughout the gig, like banging his head, banging the railings, trying to stand up even though you're not allowed to stand up in the front row. He knew every word to every track. And there was a lot of that around the building. It wasn't just Fairweather yeah. fans. People were there for the, you know, the diehards, and, and as Kendrick shouted out, you know, the day one crowd. And yeah, I have to say, it was really, there was a, a nice air there. Like, there was a sense of togetherness. There was a sense of a community coming together. At one point, Kendrick shouted out at that art, that artist collective subset who put mm-hmm. up a mural of him on Angel Street the night before, uh, which is a cool mural, by the way. Yeah, no, it is. Worth checking out. And, you know, however, I've heard a rumor that it might have been paid for by the record label. But what can I say? It's just a rumor. I'm not making that accusation. Someone else is. Nonetheless, I thought as a show, it was phenomenal. Uh, the bit with Humble, which, of course, has been done on the American tour before, where he yeah. gives it to the crowd for about two minutes and just directs them like a conductor. And everyone is roaring every single word, every single syllable. It turns into this military rhythm section. And then he comes back and then kicks it back in and takes it all over again. It's just astonishing. Yeah. Absolutely astonishing. I was so enthralled. I felt better about myself as a person afterwards. It was genuinely life affirming. <laughs> like, I, I feel like I, I left that building like a better person. And like, that's probably the greatest comment I can give it. I fucking loved it. I absolutely loved it. I would go again tonight. I'd go again tomorrow. Yeah. It was astonishing. And if you have the chance to check him out on the European tour, I know our friend Josh is going to Norway to see him. I think Dave Higgins is going to somewhere to see him, possibly. Yeah, take it, go. Uh, how was James Blake? I missed him. Uh, yeah, he was good. I mean, as you'd expect, it wasn't exactly go- ever going to be his night. Um, first of all, he's not exactly, you know, Mr. Bangers. And secondly, frankly, there was a lot of the crowd who just didn't seem to know who he was. But he was really good. And as Di remarked to me halfway through, he was like, you know, this is a great opening act for Kendrick where you get like a full on sort of bassy musician who's actually going to have some similarities in sound, but obviously is also never going to steal the show in terms of the theatrics and stuff. But he was very enjoyable. Um, that new track sounded absolutely superb. I'm rage and I missed that because it's so, so good. The crowd seemed to be quite receptive. I was filing in as he was finishing. Yeah. And it wasn't a case of, like, you know, get off the fucking stage. Oh, no, no, no. He's, like, I mean, like, he's good. There's no denying it. His voice sounded fantastic. And, I mean, like, he has his bona fides. I think even if people weren't big fans of his, they at least probably knew who he was and kind of, you know, knew who he'd worked with and all the rest of it. So, yeah, he he got his respect. Final word, though, before we move on. uh, A reference to an infamous tweet by Fanula Jones. Did you see anybody doing press-ups during I was, by the way, I cannot tell you how tempted I was (laughs) to get one of the boys to film me doing press-ups and to send it to you oh man you should have so tempted um, no I didn't I can't confirm now the one thing I would say is I was sitting which doesn't really allow there's not a lot of room to do any kind of physical activity you would have had to do some sort of like shoulder presses yeah, I suppose, or something, like it? chest presses maybe yeah. or something but like I have really bad astigmatism I couldn't see everything like I, that's not to say there wasn't someone down and standing doing push ups um, <laughs> if un- you're out it's there unlikely. please yeah, contact if me if you're out there afternoon the Jones on I Twitter I need to shout at you yeah Afternoon, Jay. Get it done. So, yeah, gig of the year. Uh, gig to beat. <laughs> okay, start of February, day for relax. Somebody who could beat it, though, if he came to Irish Wars for one last <laughs> run would be Quincy Jones. Oh, uh, yeah. So, from something we haven't seen before to something we definitely saw before. In fact, last week, we discussed Quincy Jones uh, revealing all, revealing more than you ever thought possible in an interview. We tried to bullet point it, and it was also a live show in front of very bemused-looking people, so yeah. we were like, let's just rifle through this as fast as we can. If you haven't read the Quincy Jones GQ interview, don't worry, because he's done another one. Yeah, this one is with Vulture, and uh, it's no less weird. Uh, it sets the tone around the end of the first answer where he t- turns to the interview and he goes, uh, what's your star sign? Your man's like, uh, Pisces? He's like, yeah, cool. Such a great sign. Then later, when the interviewer apologizes for kind of like, you know, changing subjects on a question, he goes, no, no, man, be a Pisces. Jam. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about how he used to date Ivanka Trump. Uh, yeah. And he talks about how when he first heard the Beatles, he thought they were trash. I mean, to be fair now, he he picks on Ringo, which is like... The Beatles the so- pick on Ringo. I, exactly, yeah. That's the softest target you've got. Um, but yeah, Ringo couldn't drum in shock news. Uh, yeah, so some more. Uh, he confirms that he does know who killed John F. Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, um, they ask him, "Is Ren that you wish you didn't know?" Yeah, <laughs> uh, and like, I mean, there is a laundry list. To be perfectly honest, um, he knows a lot of secrets about the Clintons that he doesn't want to talk about. There's a lot of stuff that he can't talk about in public. He's worse than a criminal defense lawyer. Like, so he's either the greatest man who's ever lived, or. 
He's taken a lot of drugs. I think he is the greatest man who ever lived, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. He's also taken a lot of drugs. He has taken By a lot of admission. drugs, too. Yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. And, like, you can clearly see at one or two points his judgment has been impaired. Like, the point where he seems to react with relative shock that when there was a kind of a tribute album made to him by a lot of hip-hop stars about six, seven or eight years ago, he, he seems surprised that T-Pain was unable to improve on the original composition. <laughs> T-Pain has since hit out with Quincy Jones. He's not happy about it. Not happy about this interview. So T-Pain t- did his best, all right? Leave <laughs> T-Pain alone. So, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting kind of almost like professional wrestling style <laughs> heel turn at the tail end of a career. Oh, well, he, you know, he says he's going to keep performing and living indeed until he's about 110. Yeah. So we'll see if that happens. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I, people are almost already sick of this. Like it's, I wa- it's kind I'm, of a flash in the pan. I want him on the pod. Yeah. Oh man, it'd be like a seven-hour podcast. I know. Yeah. Right. But I do. And it. imagine the editing job afterwards. No editing. Have to take that out. Have to take that out. Have to no editing. Out. If you get him on tape, you know it's on the record. So yeah. I guess one. Like, I never thought I'd say this, but Quincy Jones is one to keep an eye on. <laughs> uh, we've never mentioned Mike Garson on the podcast before, but we are now because he was David Bowie's long-term piano player, uh, keyboardist rather. And I actually first, well, not first, but I I interviewed Dillinger Escape on a few years ago and Mike Garson is on a Dillinger Escape Plan song a song called Widower which is phenomenal and I interviewed the lads uh, Greg and Ben from the band and they were talking about how it was just amazing for them to work with this guy an, an absolute legend I think kind of the connection really came about because Dillinger Escape Plan got in with Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor and David Bowie were famously good friends and Mike Garson is a wonderful musician um, he is publishing an updated edition of his 2015 biography Bowie's Piano Man The Life of Mike Garson in May which contains stories that he apparently couldn't tell before but now in the wake of the singer's death he has some new stuff to say and it doesn't seem terribly salacious he was Bowie's friend. I don't think he's able to make a quick book here. I think he's just trying to be like, hey, here's some new stuff people might want to know. Chief of which, the one that's kind of doing the rounds this week in the news, is that Bowie apparently knew the exact date that he would die in conversation with a psychic who told him, and apparently it's the date in question that he passed away. I mean, there is that element of that album coming out, and two days later Bowie's dead. Sure. And even having a song on there called Lazarus, knowing he was going to face his end... I guess he I, met I, his deadline. <laughs> I've got to feel that some of that was down to the discussions with his cancer doctor rather than with a psychic in the 70s. I mean, like you read this story and you get to like the first quote, which are which is, there are a lot of psychics who are out of their minds and full of it, but this one was real. And you're like, was he, mate? Hey, lads, was I, he? hey, lads I know you don't believe in ghosts, but I'm telling you, right? <laughs> I'm fucking telling you. I saw one. Um, yeah, he says it was pretty profound. <laughs> And, you know, he said he wrote to David Bowie and was like, hey, you know, like, I can't believe this. And Bowie was like, I don't know, accepting of the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, to it's be... It's a strange kind of, you know, third-hand story almost at this point. Yeah, I mean, to be fair as well, though, a lot of people love placing this sort of, you know, out-of-this-world quality to Bowie. And, you know, I guess this fits in with that, doesn't it? Yeah, Absolutely. But can I ask, if he were given the opportunity to know know what date that you would die, would you want to know? I don't think so. That's actually a plot point in the film Big Fish, the Tim Burton one from 2003, a film I quite liked at the time. And the character knows, like he meets a witch or whatever, and she shows him the exact way and time he'll die. And he's kind of like, okay, that's how I go. So he knows. You see, I mean, like the other thing is... It's a romantic thing in that film, of course. But in in real life, you're like, well, Jesus Christ, really? (laughs) Like, Final Destination. (laughs) But as well, if somebody tells you that, does that mean like you can just... Avoid it. No, or you can live with impunity up until that point. Like, just walk into traffic and just be like, well, my date's not for another 20 years, so come at me, bro. Well, like, just jump into, like, a volcano. Yeah, whatever yeah, you want, yeah. Like that, yeah. Yeah. We're getting off track, lads. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to end up in the belly of the rock beast or anything. <laughs> Very good. A reference to a terrible press release I read this week. Uh, you know who you are. So, next on the block is a story that, quite frankly, I mean, I oh, cannot so good. I cannot not read this uh, in Chris Morris's voice. <laughs> this is a straight off the day today. I want to thank friend of the show, Harry, for sending me this story during the week. Noel Edmonds, of all people, who's a bit of a bit of a madman, if, if I'm being honest, has set up a radio station to take on a bank that he's suing. Mm-hmm. Call him... Uh, yeah, so he um, is suing Lloyd's Bank uh, for $60 million in compensation after falling victim to a multi-million pound fraud a decade ago. And he's now set up an online radio station called Positively Noel. Mm. Um, yeah, songs. Uh, so the songs are all connected 
to uh, him suing Lloyds Bank and banking in general. What so songs are they? Well, there's Abba's Money, Money, Money. There's Eurythmics, Would I Lie to You. Destiny's Child Survivor is in there. Um, Lunch Money, Lewis's Bills, Don't Give Up by Kate Bush and Peter Gabriel. Um, and yeah, and these are interspersed by um, phone messages that uh, he, he's been leaving the bank. And indeed ads that are sort of, you know, mocking Lloyds, basically. This just seems like the richest person in the world's idea of how to make a statement, doesn't it? Well, you know, you mentioned Positively Noel. It's just the latest in a positively branded thing. He has uh, Positively Radio World, which also has positive, uh, Positively Meditation, Positively Plants, Positively South End and Positively 90s. On the radio's website, Noel states, We wish to promote greater respect, tolerance, and compassion by empowering everyone, wherever they are in the world, to enjoy a more fulfilled and indeed positive lifestyle. Maybe they were behind that radio station I had on that bus back from Cork. <laughs> uh, yeah, Noel Evans is famously strange. I've said it before, maybe on the podcast or not, but I'll say it now. John Ronson went behind the scenes of Deal or No Deal back in 2006 yeah. when it started. It's an excellent expose piece on The Guardian, still up on the website, well worth the read, in which Noel Evans comes across like a cult leader, which I guess that, what that show was, and he basically strikes fear and awe respectively into his contestants. He talks about cosmic wishing and how he puts stuff out into the world, and you know, he's like, you, you have to ask for very specific things, but you can't be too specific, and you'll get them. John Ronson's like, can you put me an example? And he says, well, you know, last year I wanted to meet a woman, so I put it out there into the world, and lo and behold, a lovely woman came into my life. And John Ronson goes, is that the same one who sold this story to a newspaper about you? And then Noel says, maybe I should have asked to meet a nice woman. <laughs> oh, like... Is that not petty goals, though? This is petty. (laughs) This is like the definition of petty. It's almost admirable, like, just the level of detail, like, the ads of the same music as, like, the bank ads. I mean, it's on on the same level as, like, a music journalist leaving a magazine in in, an acrimonious fashion and then starting a podcast (laughs) at some point in his career. Who would do such a thing? Did you ever see Noel Edmonds' weird Sky show where he was trying to fix what's wrong with Britain? Oh, my God, yes. Oh, my God. What was it called again? It was unreal. Noel's HQ or something? No, it's not coming to me now. And I'm pretty sure it's Noel's HQ. I think Charlie Brooker did a thing on on Screenwipe or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, it's Noel doing all these zany pranks and being like, you know... The you know the the tax man wants your money and your children's teeth and I'm here to stop it from happening with uh, some clown character who comes in. It's absolutely ridiculous that anybody would would in fact like do put put it out. You can understand someone going to the trouble of like getting an audience, putting on the cameras, and pretending and being like, no, just just let him let him at it. He's insane. But no, it actually was aired. Yeah, you're right. It was a call. It was called Noel's HQ. Yeah, like. If if you have no idea what we're talking about, check it out on YouTube. It it's bizarre. It it had these like staged bits with like you know people in costume and marching bands and kind of as though like the Nuremberg rallies had been designed by like a wedding planner. It's just strange stuff. Christ Almighty! Before you wrap the news section, uh, as noted, possibly on this podcast, I'm kind of having one of those days. Um, it's been a busy week, and thus I didn't get to a full complement of news. So I asked Fanula Jones to throw in an extra story. And I haven't actually read the story in question, but Fanula wrote the story in question. So some real time and no encore first. Give me the news, Fanula. I'm here to educate y'all. Um, there's a bill that's been proposed in the Dáil, which hopes to uh, stop Ireland looking for offshore materials such as oil and gas. Right. Because we obviously want to care about the environment and all that jazz. Um, they don't think it's going to be passed. But in a bid to try and drum up some support, um, there was a Green Party member and doll researcher, Sinead Mercier. Mercier, mm. I'm probably making names of that. She reached out to um, Cher on Twitter and uh, basically gave a brief analysis of the bill and explained how it would affect the 250,000 bottlenose dolphins that visit Ireland annually. And could she count on Cher to, like, give her support? And obviously, because she's Cher, she replied and said, hashtag, hell to the ex. Did she do it in Block Capitals? Because isn't that her Twitter game? She absolutely did it in Block Capitals because she she believes in life after carbon emissions. Oh, there it is. (laughs) Nailed it. Took me a while. I must say, as, as, as an adopted son in Norway, I'm a huge fan of offshore drilling and building up a bit of an oil reserve. Um, I can speak to the benefits of it. Was Cher her first choice? 
Um, it seems As in, like, to have been... Has she been going to everybody? Or, like, was it just, like, we need to drum up some support? Hey, okay, I'll make a lift. Quincy Jones. Go. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, well, Cher's very environmentally conscious, and I think she shared something about monkeys or jungles Cher, or something. Cher is being... also mental on Twitter. Oh, yeah, Unreal. absolutely. Like, I love as well, Cher, Cher tweets, like, with the emojis and stuff. Cher tweets the same way as your mum texts. You know, where she oh, learned, oh, stunning. shortening words is the thing, is it? And now, you know, she just can't do vowels anymore. Where Cher, if she finds a picture of anything, it's just, boof, word has gone, pictures in, like. Well, I mean, you know, it's a way of reinventing your brand. Yeah. She's down with the kids. It's like one of my quiz rounds. Every tweet Cher sends like a game of catchphrase. Say what you see, you might decipher what she's on about. <laughs> so what about these dolphins, Fanula? Have they got a positive future to look forward to? Um, will be the jury's anyway. still out because they reckon that the bill isn't going to pass. But um, because oil, because oil, yeah. But I mean, fingers crossed for Fungi. Like, it shares a big no, fan. Fungi so. will be grand. Like. Hang on a minute. Fungi's will he days be grand? Are surely numbered. He? Days are numbered at this point. How old is he? I've had arguments with people from Dingleberry whether it is a real Fungi anymore. Or replaced, not, yeah. like the, How uh, like, dare you say something like that? Of course, he's real. Oh. He's been replaced like Sin Cara in WWE. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A different person under the mask. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. On that note, from one great big mess to another, <laughs> it's time, everyone, to throw on that flannel shirt of yours and let's take a stroll to... Uh, I can't even finish the sentence properly. It's Justin Timberlake's Man of the Woods, okay? It sounds like this. Like they know Baby, don't just stop it Yes, I'm watching your hand slides down the light And girl, you know I brag about you To anyone outside But I'm a man It's the title track from Justin Timberlake's Man of the Woods. Before we get to the album, though, mm-hmm. he performed at the Super Bowl. You were staying up late to watch it, Cullum. Of course. Were you impressed? I mean, can I just say as well, like, as a big NFL fan, it really annoys me that I get up the day after the Super Bowl and everyone's like, oh, what do you think of Lady Gaga? Or what do you think of Justin Timberlake? And I'm like, literally two years in a row, there's been a best Super Bowl ever contender, <laughs> and I'm stuck talking about the halftime show. Think of the sport. It was grand. It seemed to me to be the year where the Super Bowl halftime show, which has never be exactly been apologetic of its sort of like razzmatazz, all singing, all dancing nature, kind of went fully through the keyhole and went, oh, the songs, don't worry about the songs. We'll just put your vocals way down in the mix. Sometimes you don't even need to sing, mate. Just do a bit of dance and show your charisma. We'll take care yeah, of the rest. Yeah, it's Christmas for choreography and medley enthusiasts the world over. Mm. I wasn't terribly impressed. I particularly wasn't impressed by the Prince thing in which ah, he performed yeah. with, not a hologram, but a depiction of Prince and did a kind of a duet. Uh, Prince, despite being dead almost to years had more life in him than Timberlake did <laughs> and also like they weren't friends they had a fucking beef no I mean like he has been playing I Die For You since Prince passed away now granted he hasn't played many gigs but like you know it's not a thing that he pulled out for one night and to be honest playing in Minnesota at halftime of the Super Bowl I think it was a catch-22 situation he was damned if he didn't damned if he didn't and like if he's gonna do something this was nowhere near the most tasteless thing he could have done so I, th- I thought that was no, fine no it was I tasteful for real. sure uh, although when he was like two fingers in the air for Prince I was like shut up yeah. uh, the purple thing was kind of cute I guess uh, as for Timberlake finishing off the thing by taking a selfie with some kid and saying Super Bowl selfies yeah. I was like that's going to haunt me for the rest of my days <laughs> on the subject of Prince real quick by the way I went back and I rewatched um D'Angelo's tribute to him mm-hmm. playing Sometimes It Snows in April and I think Jimmy Fallon and he has Maya Rudolph and some other lady whose name I forget, I apologise, as backup singers. And there's a moment in it where D'Angelo breaks. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And I can remember from the time. And he like, can't yeah. finish the sentence. And Maya Rudolph picks it up. And it's one of the most beautiful moments of empathy I've ever seen. And it's well worth checking out. Unfortunately, the Justin Timberlake album <laughs> does not have such uh, groundbreaking, wonderful manners of the heart on it. So we talked about this. We talked about the singles. We talked about the presentation and the package and how we assumed it would be a mix of... Uh, the kind of sultry R&B histrionics that brought him to the dance with this, you know, oh, hang on, I'm from Memphis and I guess I should probably make a country album now. 
I have already written a hit piece on this. Uh, I actually had a meeting, by the way, with people from his label recently, and I did not mention that I wrote a hit piece about sure. it. I was just like, kept my mouth shut when they brought up Justin Timberlake. But nonetheless, um, I think this album is the worst album of the year. It's the worst major release of the year. Again, it's only February. And I'm, no, I'm jumping ahead. It's going to take some serious doing to outdo this absolute colossal trash fire of a record. Fanula Jones. Um, it's rare that this happens, but I agree with you, Dave. Fantastic. It's really, really, really bad. It's just, it's just turgid the whole way through. Like, there's no movement to it. Like, none of the songs have any kind of structure. And like, usually, I mean, like, sometimes that can be allowed for, but it's just, songs are just going into one another. And I was like, I don't know when I started this record or finished it. And it just, it seems crazy to me that this is the same person that did Future Sex Love Sounds. And like, sent this away and was like, yeah, that's fine, Timbaland. Will you sort that out for me there now, please? And thought this was acceptable to be put out there. It's it's blowing my mind how just not on the ball this is. I mean, first of all, sending it away to Timbaland is a huge mistake in itself, in my opinion here, because basically, like, he's tried to rely on some of his old hallmarks to sort of yeah. give this some level of, you know, oh, it can do for me what the last ones did or whatever, when clearly it's just such a very different album album uh, and in bad ways as well but we'll come to that in a second uh the thing is as well that you have to remember like future sex love sounds is 12 years ago and this is the one thing that kept coming back to me when i was listening to this album and i was like yeah it's terrible i agree with you too it's absolutely dire but this is now 16 years since justin timberlake's solo debut album if you go back 16 years and see what other big debut solo pop albums there were that year. You're looking at Ashanti, Avril Lavigne and Daniel Bedingfield. And obviously it's no surprise that all three of those have let, lost any sort of cultural relevance at this stage. So maybe we should have just expected the same here. You know, like, is, is, it, is it more foolish to think that 16 years after breaking on the scene we could expect anything half decent from this record it's more fool him for making this record I think, I think the only way that you can say that you know that 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 expectations shouldn't have been like just rock bottom is the fact that he just hasn't released enough but the only thing that we have to kind of you know justify the fact that we can't you know expect that spiral is the fact that he hasn't released a lot in the past 15 16 years to use as sort of markers of where his career trajectory was going Justify. I know, sorry, mate. You, Shameless. You son of a bitch. Oh. Colin Regan, you've saved this podcast. You've done it again. <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty, Dave. Oh, well, this is God. the thing, yeah. I mean, and there's that phrase I wanted to outlaw from the podcast for season three because we say it a lot. So, you know, if you're playing your updated No Encore drinking game that we haven't actually put together ourselves, take a shot. Take a shot, listen to this album, though, because, man, it's it's a mess. I mean, we, we've, we've mentioned it. Like, it's, it's so incoherent. It's also... It's in that horrible thing now where, like, I guess major releases just have to be 16 songs long because this weighs you down. And as Vanilla points out very correctly and astutely, it can't decide what it wants to be and just takes you into these meandering corridors of nothingness as it goes along. I mean, let's go kind of song by song here to a degree. Filthy, I just don't think works. I still don't think it works. Midnight Summer Jam, I've seen people praise it, but I think it's sub-Robin Thick. It's just messy, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's trying to do so much. Sauce is much worse. Yeah, yeah. much, much, much worse. Um, I'm. I, I. I don't. There's nothing here that I hate. It's more that, like, as I said in my review, which I put on Joe, is that I said it's no exaggeration or hyperbole, and I know I'm fond of both, but it's no exaggeration or hyperbole to state that literally all of these songs are bad. None of them are any good. And that's a massive problem when you're like a tentpole superstar trying to make this personal while also stratospheric commercial comeback. I mean, he he involves the family because, of course, he does. Jessica Biel does some of the worst acting work of her career with this pointless voiceover that kind of permeates the album. And, of course, on the final track, Young Man, he gets his fucking one-and-a-half-year-old kid involved. I mean, there, it must be said there are some really, really just almost worrying parts in this record where he kind of goes from sex pot Justin to, like, 
Rudyard Kipling, keep your head, my son, right back to Sexpot Justin, as though he's kind of like, you know, trying to guide his kid through life, but make him sure he gets to bed early because he doesn't want to see what he's going to do to his mom later. Timberlake was never the edgiest musician, that's fine, but he his songs had a bit of bite and a little bit of kind of knowing venom and cleverly dressed up in these really well put together pop productions, but happiness has numbed him as an artist, I think. <laughs> Yeah, bits of this sound like he has made songs up on the spot to try to cajole his son into doing shit. Like, if you looked at the track listing and the broccoli song was next, you know, yum, 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 meet those greens, you'd be like, yeah, it probably fits somewhere in the middle of this record. I also think it's fair to say that, I like, when I heard Hers, which is basically like an interlude where... Uh, Jessica Biel just mm-hmm. speaks and stuff like I really feel like she's trying to silently communicate to the audience <laughs> that she wants out of this marriage and this life like I just I keep listening for like more Morse code like taps to be like help me please it's that bit in The Simpsons where Skinner's like got his hands broken by the mafia I believe it was a boking accident <laughs> I have to go now <laughs> here's one thing does he care do I don't think he does like, do you think his heart is in this yeah, I think it is. Like we know, I think that he's no, he's no more control. than a part-time musician at the best. Of he's times no quality anyway. control. I think he thinks he's good. I think he thinks this is good. I think he thinks it's a real personal statement. It's a real. I've nailed it. I mean, like, okay, the guy's got an ego because how could you not be mm. in his position? That's fine. It's understandable. And like, there was a thread recently about some of his misbehavior over the years, and some of it is, you know, it doesn't look good when it's a part of a Twitter thread, particularly his kind of stuff in relation to Britney Spears. But again, the guy was young; he was growing up in the spotlight in this massive thing. I'm sure we all would have fucked up to a degree. And I don't think he's a terribly objectionable character. Although I do think that the guy really needs to kind of turn things around, even from a film point of view, because he can be good when he's used right by good directors. But you know, an upcoming Woody Allen film is the worst kind of gamble to take right now uh all of which though speaks to the fact that like for the first time in a bulletproof career a strangely bulletproof career where he has skated past controversies uh probably because you know he's a good looking white guy (laughs) and Shannon jackson didn't get the same fucking treatment i think that ultimately people are starting to really ask questions now the knives are out and there was a thing this week about you know the backlash and people being like oh you know young critics like to just go against the grain especially with the big modern pop stars of the day I don't think it's a cynical thing I think this is a cynical album but almost by accident I think he just simply doesn't realise that he's not very good yeah but you see like even there you use the phrase big modern pop stars when as I alluded to earlier really he's neither modern in the fact that two of his three best records are now 12 and 16 years old or a pop star in that since the second of those Future Sex Love Sounds he essentially released a double album in the space of 12 years. Really, really, he's now an entertainer. And that's why when watching the Super Bowl, I was just like, you know what? This sort of thing suits him. Do a bit of song, bit of dance. Like, right, I was thinking last night, if he was offered, if they revamped and they offered him a permanent hosting slot of Saturday Night Live, I think he would jump at it. Do a sketch or two every week. Do a song maybe every month. So he's a song duet. and dance man like it's the 20s. Dude, he's like fucking Bruce Forsyth for the 21st century. Like, yeah. And he's kind of skating by on charisma and this sort of, you know, all-rounder ability that he has. And, yeah, honestly, I think that if you were to kind of, you know, say, right, music or bust, I think he might just walk away. That's why I wonder just how much he cares about what this record sounds like in the end yeah I think the thing is and I saw some people talking about it on Twitter and just to get back to what you said there Dave you, you said he wasn't he isn't good I don't think that's fair because he is good but he doesn't fit into the musical landscape of pop now anymore and I don't think he recognises that as you said like it's a quality control issue I really just think he thought he could sidle up and this would be it now as I said with these glossed over tracks and that'll be fine but there's there's no place for him now in in, like in any of this environment I think he's just so ill-fitting whatever he does I think Colm's right though that he is this kind of all-rounder element to him that he could go away and do something a bit more multifaceted than that but as just an artist I just think there's no room for him then it becomes a jack of all trades master of none situation on the country side of it Colm because <laughs> yeah. you're a country boy at heart uh-huh How's he do? Again I mean like why you go like you mentioned like yeah, the guy's from Tennessee there's so many proper country artists in and around that area. And indeed in Montana, where he spends so much time, he's named one of his tracks after. You're going to find traditional musicians. And he's gone to Timbaland and the Neptunes and gone like, yeah, help me get in touch with my roots, lads. 
I mean, what sort of a move is that? I don't know why you do it, but I can certainly understand why it's turned out pretty negatively. I mean, if he made a whole record with Chris Stapleton, and I'm not saying, you know, that I necessarily want him to do that, but at least you could say, oh, well, you know, he's tried to make a country album and it's just not very good, rather than here, where it's he's tried to make a country album and it's turned into just an absolute abomination. It's a mess. Final judgments. Okay, so I made the statement that I think all of these songs are bad. I don't think there's a single redeeming song. Is it me being too harsh, or is there anything here actually of value? What I will say is that every time that there does seem to be something that might redeem, there's either a whiplash effect when it's followed by something both so terrible and so just jarring that there is no cohesion whatsoever, and you start to think, oh, even that song that was okay is actually shit because it's been thrown into such a weird situation. Yeah, like, there's no point at this album where I was like, oh, it's getting on track now. I did enjoy the Alicia Keys collab. Um, I think it kind of is very reminiscent of, like, that sweet spot of, like, Naughty's R&B when it was good, like, John Legend-esque that I have a soft spot for. And beyond that, the only other thing that I enjoyed was when he says, put your filthy hands all over me, like the fake Mr. T in the Snickers ad. <laughs> like, you have to say it like that. Otherwise, what's the Is point? he not guilty of cultural appropriation in these strange modern times, though? <laughs> oh, don't get into that! See, there you go. There you go. Okay, so listen, I wanted this album to be good, but I knew it wouldn't be, yeah. and that's why I'm giving it 2 out of 10. Yeah, I knew it wouldn't be a good album, to be fair. Yeah, I, I've got to go along to you. I think it's 2 out of 10. I had also pre-prepared my score of 2, so... <laughs> Hey, six out of thirty. <laughs> good, good, better luck next time. Yeah, um, rather get a good acting gig soon. Hopefully, well, what can you do? What we can do is we can listen to some other songs. Damn right, by other people. Yeah. Now, and as I was saying, the chances of uh, a pop hit being successful twenty years later pretty much minimal. Especially when we've last seen you have a wheelchair thrown at you to get you off the stage at Reading Festival. <laughs> Yet somehow, here we are, 2018, with a new single from Daphne and Celeste. This is called BB. Yeah, BB stands for Basic Busker. Um, It is also the title of their forthcoming album, which is out on March 30th. Am I wrong to say I'm intrigued? Well, here's the thing. A couple of years ago, in 2015 actually, they put out a song. They Mm -hmm. came back with, uh, I think it could be the same producer, Max Tundra. Max Tundra, yeah. A bloke that I met in Cork years ago. Oh, okay. He's a great musician in his own right. Um, Took a big old bit chunk of time off but like an interesting electronic musician like they had this minimalist electronic jam called you and i alone and it was good it was surprisingly fine it was perfectly decent now you mentioned that they were bottled off stage at reading and you know they became this infamous joke this kind of flash in the pan thing what was their big song you stick you and your mama too oh yeah ugly i remember that one so uh, you know they went down in the annals of time as this joke uh, it's amazing for them to come back with a song like this in which they are taking aim at what's on the radio. The fucking sure. stones on them. <laughs> but I gotta say, I like it. It's packed to the hilt. It's overstuffed. You can almost see them being unable to close this suitcase with musical notes flying out of it. But I think that works. It's obnoxious by design. It's knowingly obnoxious and it's kind of fun. I mean, Am I crazy? Is, there, no, is, is this no, kind of good? You're not. I think it's kind of good. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, they've always had a sort of an anti attitude about them. Now, it's switched from what they were anti, but as in, like, if you watch footage from that Reading Festival, they're absolutely just, like, taunting the crowd. Pretty oh, yeah, much. they went like, for it. Yeah. Like pro wrestling heels. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this much, in much the same way, like you say, there is a confrontational edge to kind of like what's taking on what's on the radio right now. I mean, I saw somebody with what was, frankly, just an overblown and rather fanciful comparison to, like, PC Music and Charlie XCX and stuff like that. But there is an element here where you do have a sort of a left-of-centre producer and artists are an act 
who are probably not going to be as precious in terms of what they're saying or how they say it than a lot of what's going to be out there. I'm genuinely sort of intrigued to see what comes of this. I'm the same. I'm. I, I initially, I just found it really weird. I found it. I liked the idea behind that it's just a big fuck you to what's on the radio now, as was yeah. said. But like, yeah, I just think it's packaged so oddly as Dave was saying like there's so much going on that you kind of like the song stops and you're like what the fuck did I just listen to yeah. but yeah it. I would be I'm interested to see how this goes along and maybe if I revisit it I'd feel differently about it but yeah it was just it's a bit like whoa it's a jolt absolutely but like you know we've discussed sort of like deconstructed pop music taking a big step forward and yeah it would be very strange if one of the vanguards for this year was indeed Daphne and Celeste if anyone in Dublin has Buffalo G's number tell them to come out of retirement they could probably get a gig or two here as well maybe don't make that phone call <laughs> but this is fine and I quite liked it and you know what let's keep that theme going of almost almost like kind of a surprise thing Mm -hmm. and let's talk about the new Kate Nash song which (laughs) sounds like this That's Drink About You by Kate Nash. Now, who would have thought that Kate Nash would make a comeback this year and follow in the footsteps of The Wombats? This is a Wombat song all day of the week. Yeah. And I kind of like it. I must it's say, fun. And I'm not a fan of Kate Nash. I mean, the whole thing, I, I found it really obnoxious and, you know, alienating. But, you know, I know a lot of girls uh, felt empowered by her and that's cool. And I know she did those reunion gigs recently. People went to them and had a great old time. Fantastic. And she tried her hand at acting. I was about to say, have you watched Glow? I tapped it after three episodes, man. I wasn't feeling it. <laughs> it's good, good reference, though, man. Let me tell you. What is with the references tonight? My God. Have you heard fire. no encore before? We yeah, talk about wrestling. No puncore. Quite a lot. And puns, yes. <laughs> Uh, this is perfectly fine. This is perfectly agreeable pop. I liked it. It's got that kind of, you know, jangly driving guitar. Like I say, it sounds like an enemy uh, magazine from 2007 came to life and started, you know, tearing apart the room and shouting at their parents. But, you know, it's perfectly fun. I, I look forward to being at a party where this comes on and then I compare it to the Wombats and then I get told that I'm a misogynist. Dave, what an amazing party you're going to be at. Some sort of, like break-up pity party where all the sisters are doing it for themselves and Dave's like, yo, doesn't this sound like the Wombats? Hey, who remembers the Wombats? <laughs> and by the way, uh, yeah, uh, let's be honest, I'm the one doing the music at that party. <laughs> this is another uh, kind of angsty breakup song, although unlike Churches from last week, this actually fits. This sounds like the music and the lyrics go together. Now, granted, Kate Nash is still seemingly kind of like writing in nursery rhymes, so to speak, but... Like I say, at least it's thematically solid. It's not doing much for me, but frankly, little of her music did. I can see this fitting into her catalogue quite well. I really, really wanted to like this. I saw her at the reunion gig she did at the Academy and I was, I kind of went as like a passive fan and I was like surprised at how much I genuinely enjoyed myself. Like I think that old performance, it was like, like a teenage girl from the noughties like just the diary opened up as you said like an enemy magazine come to life but this is great lads like I just didn't like I didn't really enjoy the vocal that whole nursery rhyme lyricism thing that you said like the couplets and stuff I just she's also doing that thing that she does where she hits the end of every sentence as if she resents the word that ends the sentence yeah Yeah. Yeah. with such like spit on it and it becomes irritating it's almost like too much sibilance or something it's but that just hasn't aged well for me I just I like no it could be because I was like oh my god there's a Kate Nash song in 2018 Jesus fucking Christ this is gonna be actually not that bad so you know I'm going with good graces and again all of this comes in the wake of me going to an amazing gig last night so I'm kind of on a high from that alright I ain't saying I'm gonna add it to my best of 2018 playlist or nothing and it's certainly not gonna make my song of the day that I'm doing on Twitter everybody hit up at Hanready Dave (laughs) for one song that I love every day shameless in 2018 I put out Whip My Hair by Willow up there yesterday that's a fucking underrated banger I gave that a like it's a hell of a tune I do love when Fanula comes along on Twitter and likes things I've posted for about two weeks it's great (laughs) get a real sugar rush from it let's have another one 
Uh, I feel like this could have been on the soundtrack to a new Burnout game, as possibly could the Kate Nash one, but it's Albert Hammond Jr. from The Strokes with a song called Muted Beatings. You might call it musical snobbery. I prefer to think of it as an apathetic blind spot. But when a member of a band who isn't the front man goes off and does, does their own thing, I tend to just not care. I haven't <laughs> kept up with the career of Albert Hammond Jr. outside of the strokes. So I'm not terribly familiar with his work. I was expecting some kind of sharp guitar line here, and I got it. And I enjoyed this too. It has life, it has punch, it's brief, it makes its point quite well, and I found it enjoyable. Like I say, I feel like Burnout 3 back in the day, which had a really cool soundtrack, this would have fit right in. I must say, uh, he's one worth keeping an eye on, to be fair, and not least because of uh, the obvious sort of pedigree that he brings. Um, you know, while he's not the frontman of the strokes, uh, being a performer kind of runs in his veins. This is the first single of an album that's coming out March 9th. And if you have not heard the backstory to this... I have not. Then brace yourself, all right? Albert Hammond was a twin, but his brother was stillborn. And, in fact, when his brother was born prematurely, Albert Hammond was still in his mother's womb for four months without anybody realising it. Holy shit. Yeah, and so then a few years ago, at 36 years old, he found out that... Uh, his twin brother's fingernail was actually born with him. And that's why this oh, album God. is called Francis Trouble. It's inspired by his stillborn brother. Quite strange, right? Um, thankfully, it's not written all over this song by any means. And I must say, I love this. I love how the rhythm is kind of constructed on that one-note guitar riff. I like the dynamics of the chorus, the way it kind of strips out some of the uh, some of the rhythm that it had and some of the me- momentum that it had, even the kind of do-do-do's I don't care. It, it, it all seems to work for me. Fanula? Like, it's just the strokes, isn't it? Like, I just... <laughs> like, I don't even... It's not even that I didn't like it. It's just I immediately played it and I was like, I don't care. It was the the first song. Exactly, I was exactly. Like, the chorus got stuck in your head. I, but, I was, but I was also like, I don't care. I'm listening to this the song. The chorus is still stuck in your head. But I don't care. There it is again. I don't care. <laughs> is that in the song? <laughs> I was like, what's Colm doing? Yeah, it's phenomenal. He's He's doing in, <laughs> like I'm being indoctrinated, potentially. Colm's like, tapping into his inner magician right now. I was like, what's happening? <laughs> Uh, fair enough. I mean, it's a bit lad rock, but uh, good, be, good to, lad rock. To be fair, any time that somebody can describe a song with, it's just the strokes. I'm in. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> and the good strokes. Okay, uh, up next, a triple threat that I'm only going to presume made Fanula Jones's eyebrows raise. Here is Buster Rhymes with Missy Elliott and Kelly Rowland. Everybody looking when I step up in the spot. See the way I rock, I'm hot, you not. Everybody want to clock, man, get off my job. Everybody know Mr. Mina don't stop and my records don't flop. Got the game on lock. Not TikTok, six carries in my watch now. Kiss my ass, haters. It's rocks. Get it, get it, money, money, I get it. Get it. Honey grand in the club, I spin it. The song is called Get It. Fiddler Jones, did you get it? I did get it, yeah. I got it. I enjoyed it. This is good. Um, this is kind of my spiel at the minute. I don't really think you can go wrong with Buster Rhymes. I really enjoy his delivery of things. And like Missy Elliott, I wouldn't say I'm a super fan. It's nice to see Kelly Rowland getting a bit of work as well. So they managed to disguise her completely, though, haven't they? I didn't yeah, realize that Buster really Rhymes was such a like a you know constant Buster. I didn't realize he, he has such pedigree. Oh yeah, I guess he's fun. He's really good. Yeah. Do you think he's good on Pussycat Dolls? Don't you? Uh, yes. Classic. Okay, that'll be the gravestone tune for him, I presume. I'm just uh, checking. You know, like I mean, I, I I must confess, I don't know much of Buster beyond the '90s. Um, yeah, this was fine. I thought it was enjoyable. It was a good R and B jam for what it is. I mean, like I guess, like you know, it, it ticked the boxes. It's very much a box ticking exercise. Yeah, well. yeah. I mean, like he did touch it though, which is taken from Technologic by Daft Punk. Uh, that was what, twelve years ago now. This is pretty much the exact same, except he's had Kelly Rowland sing a new hook. 
but then vocoded her to pretty much sound like the technologic woman. Um, it's grand. Like, he and Missy Elliott interplay fantastically well. They have done for years. They pulled a little mini Justin Timberlake in this case, where they were both involved with an ad during the Super Bowl, uh, which kind of served as a lead-in to the release of this single. It was, uh, it was Morgan Freeman and Peter Dinklage doing a rap battle for Doritos versus Mountain Dew. Did you see that story during the week where Doritos are apparently, like, making a lady-friendly version of their uh, they've, ca- they've cancelled it now. Oh, due to the backlash? Yeah. What was the plan? the women gave out. Because what, women don't like crunchy things? Is that what it was? No, I, and it was... You're looking at me to confirm. I, I like crunchy things, so, but no, I'm not representative of I'm all of them. I'm you shipped up about this. the story. Sorry, we, that's, why, that's why we looked. Um, I, th- I think it was as well like about like the residue of like the kind of flavour or whatever. Um, okay. As in like being left on your hands like afterwards dust. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't that's, that, that's not gender specific. I hate when that happens too. Exactly. This is the thing. Yeah, I read all of this and it's I was gross. just like, I'm on board for this idea. Like, I'm going to be buying ladies crisps from now on. And then we care. can't because, because of society, is it? <laughs> Apparently oh, so. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, I enjoyed this song. It was fine. The last song of the week is by a band called Ott. It's called Desire and it sounds like this. Didn't a taste it, feel it, and know. In so many ways, so many ways The feel of your honey in the corner of my mouth Like a loop around the block Like a shadow in your notebook Oh come on, it's based in rhyme, doesn't matter Now we pause Okay guys, I'm going to make a statement now Go for it. I think this is the first great song of 2018. I adore this. Ooh. I love it. Yeah? I lo- Man, this is like nothing else I've heard. I've been waiting. I've been patiently waiting to be swept away and just sink into something, and I didn't quite get there. I mentioned before that there's a song called Sleep by a band called Typhoon, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I heard at the end of 2017. It doesn't count. Well, it was released in 2018, <laughs> yeah. and I quite like it, but it has problems. Right. This, however, oh man, I was I was transfixed by this. See, I, I'm, I must say I'm with you most of the way. That vocal delivery is way too melodramatic for me. I love it. I think, like, I love it. So, I mean, like, <laughs> listening to Ott a bit, like, they are a post punk band, really, and this is far more spacious and far more slowed down and, I guess, understated, or at least for the first half, than what we've previously heard from them. And maybe it's just as a kind of a compensation for that space where the delivery has just gone a bit. A bit much. It's Crooner. Like, it's a crooning vocal. And no, but like, it, it, no, it's like he's trying to communicate too much. It's like what you'd get from a bad improv troupe, you know, where he's given one minute to really show well, see, you. here's the thing. I had to check this because, I mean, I don't know much of Ott, but mm. I could have sworn, and I'm almost certain, that Dave Keane, back in the Hot Press days, pushed this band on me at one point, and he's big into his kind of punk and his like, kind of like hard music, as well as, you know, some really good soft stuff as yeah. well, but he's he'd be a proponent of that kind of stuff. So I was like, wait a minute, aren't all like this kind of fairly hard band? Bands? No, no, are they no. Not? no, they're kind of they're kind of hand clappy post punk, I suppose. Like, you're okay, kinda, yeah, you're kind of looking at you know. But you're saying this is a bit of an outlier. Yeah, definitely. From what we've heard so far, this is apparently the first one from album number three, so to speak. But uh, and, but like you say, sorry, going back to the positives. Yeah, like I'm with you for so much of it. Like I thought the lyrics. I knew you'd like the lyrics because it, it's wistful Dave all over. <laughs> I, it. I, was, I was about to say wistful melodrama. Yeah, <laughs> sign it, it, me it the is fuck the, up. It, it is the kind of the post realization. Asian reflection breakup song, which I'm always a fan Two of. Two in the morning when I've just got home and I've had too much to drink. Yeah. Headphones on in the dark, you say? But like the choir and the organs and the bass line that kind of gently nudges it along and the way it builds up. I, like, I'm a fan of all of that. Um, yeah, the vocals took away f- from it a little bit for me, but like, it's still a great song. It is really, really good. I loved Just it. maybe not. I loved it. I loved, it. I loved it. So and I loved the. I loved the vocal. I actually thought it was really clever. It was. It's interesting because like it didn't alienate me in the way that Destroyer kind of does. Ah, uh-huh. but I, I obviously appreciated he was doing this thing. But yeah, I was on board. I liked it. That's the song of the week. What else can we listen to, guys? Um, I'm making my way through the new Migos album, Culture Two. I've heard bad things. Um, I think, like with most Migos projects, it's overstuffed and um, there's some things that don't work and then there are some things that are great. I'd kind of ignored a lot of the singles and now I've come back to Stir Fry and it's such an earworm. Like, Stir Fry's great. 
Like they're just, I think they're a prime example of like that whole saying now that it's like, oh, rappers are the new rock stars and stuff. They just embody it. Like I don't really like them as people. I think they're trash people, but... Um, like Offset is like extremely homophobic and has said some really dodgy things in the past but um, I'm making my way through that and I'm enjoying it for the most part Fair enough, cool I've been given that Django Django album more of a spin because frankly there's always bits to unpick there frankly and uh, yeah that's about it What do you think of it? Oh, it's good. I'm really enjoying it, I must say. And and it is slightly more streamlined than what they've done before, which gets a big thumbs up. I liked it, yeah. But I did find it quite surface in their band that I still can't quite fully connect with. But it was enjoyable for what I heard on the three or four listens I gave it in a week when I thought we might be reviewing it. But it turns out we didn't. Uh, I have been listening to the Soft Moons album. It's called Criminal. Uh, he's a one-man artist, kind of electro-style, in a, very much in a Nine Inch Nails vein. And you guessed it, listener, I quite like it. Um, <laughs> it's not the most adventurous album of all time. It is a bit one-dimensional, but the dimension's quite fun. I mean, there's tracks in there like uh, Burn and It Kills, and they're just great. Uh, he has that kind of really signature kind of style of just this kind of really washed-out industrial thing, um, you know, best realised on a track like Zeros from a few years ago. It's really enjoyable. If you're into that kind of stuff and you want some kind of accessible industrial with a pop sheen, it's great. And it's it's 10 tracks, which, as you know, <laughs> I'm a big fan of. So, yeah, I mean, not a revolutionary record by any stretch of the imagination, but a very enjoyable one to keep in company. And the company of Vanilla Jones has been very enjoyable as well. Thank you very much for coming back. Thanks, Thanks again after. for having me. Really, always, really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. As is the company of Colm Regan, who, you know, I'm going to put it on record now, was an excellent host in Cork. <laughs> Woo! Last weekend when we hit that up. And thanks again to everyone at Quarterblock Party Festival and everyone who came out and hung out with us. It was a fun couple of nights, and I'm still kind of recovering. <laughs> so, exit music is always new Irish music. Uh, we saw this lady at Hardworking Class Heroes, Leisha. She's from Galway. I believe she originally dabbled in trad music of sorts and has since kind of gone out to become a bit of a pop star. We mentioned her aesthetic. She's got an excellent kind of look and kind of vibe about what she does. Very polished, very well presented. She strikes me as someone who's quite meticulous in the projects that she chooses and the music that she chooses to put out. Her new single is called Bother. It's not a cover of the Stone Sour classic from back in the day. (laughs) Jim. I wished I had a reason. My heart is open season. <laughs> what a fucking tune. Uh, I'm going to be honest. This isn't as good as that one. Because, hey, it's not wistful melodrama, is it? But I like it. It's good. Uh, My God, you're a hard man to please, Dave. It's, you know, it comes with the trade, man. It's really not hard. Just write a wistful melodramatic song. <laughs> with some industrial <laughs> crunch. Out the window in industrial the dark. Crunch, me, yeah. um, heavy lies the crown, Vanilla, okay? <laughs> so uh, she says that Bother was probably the hardest song she's ever written, but also the quickest, which is interesting, because we've had that thing recently about a band that we won't name who apparently write songs in five minutes, mm-hmm. and they're excellent at what they do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she wrote about a relationship that was ending, so maybe I can tap into this, because it's all about that kind of wistful melodrama. I'm going to stop saying wistful melodrama i like the song i think it's really good let's have a listen to it my name is david william hanrady this has been no encore there will be no encore and this is leisha with bother
Headstuff Podcast Network. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of a Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's a Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central. Only on PBS. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.